today, family, we have a wonderful privilege um, for many of you guys who've been in the house for a while. First of all, let me introduce myself. I'm Christy Duncan. I am married to this fine, wonderful gentleman and help him lead this church. And one of the ways that I lead is through our missions department. I have the honor and privilege of being the director of Antioch Global Missions. And over this weekend, we hosted an incredible seminar called Missions Revolution. Many of you guys know we showed the videos and we've been advertising it for a while. Well, that took place yesterday. And how many of you guys were able to show up yesterday and got some amazing, incredible stuff out of it? I tell you, I had so many people walk away and say, we should have had more people here. And I'm like, help us next time, all right? So next time, you guys, let's get there because God did something very special for the nations. There we go. So today, um, we have the joy and the privilege of having our guest speaker from yesterday be here this morning. Um, many of you guys know last semester, I took a class called Perspectives. And many of you guys probably through Facebook and through just conversations with me heard about how amazing that class was and how it really changed my life in so many ways and opened my eyes to things that my eyes were not open to concerning the world of missions. And so that's what led us to host that seminar yesterday. And today we have the privilege of having Sean Cooper. He travels with the traveling team, which goes to universities, and he also gets to go with Missions Revolution to churches to help bring greater biblical awareness of what God has done and is doing in the nations. And this connects beautifully with Advent because we read in Luke 2, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, speaking of when the angel was speaking to the shepherds, be not afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Can you guys say that with me? All people, not just us, not just people who look like us, not only people in our neighborhood or in our nation, but all people, all people of every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every religion. God has a heart for them. He came to seek and save the lost. So this morning, would you join me in welcoming Sean Cooper as he brings a word about what God is doing in the nations. <clears throat> Thank you, Duncans. Good morning, Antioch. It's good to be with you guys. Um, <clears throat> let me tell you a little bit about myself, uh, how I got here and what it has to do with you guys and what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I shared this, this, this with the folks that were with us yesterday, so I told the folks yesterday this would be a bit of a repeat, but uh, I want to go autobiographical um, for a few minutes to connect the dots about what I'm going to talk to you about from God's Word. Uh, and how I'm here and why I got here and all that kind of thing. So um, growing up, uh, I was raised in a textbook blue-collar family. And uh, as a young kid, my dad's idea of fun would be to take me out on the weekends and make me help him cut wood. And um, yeah, I heard a couple people laugh. Um, I didn't think it was funny. I can promise you that. Um, <clears throat> I actually thought it was miserable-like, and I thought it was a great way for my dad to ruin my childhood. Um, but uh, he wanted to take me out on the weekends, and um, he wanted to teach me good work ethic. He wanted to teach me about father and son bonding time and all those incredible things. Uh, but we would go out on these woodcutting expeditions, and he would share this life message with me every single weekend. And it went something like this. He would say, Sean, here's what you need to know about life. You need to grow up. You need to go to college. You need to get a great degree so that you can get a great paying job so that you can pay someone else to cut your wood. I was like, Dad, that's genius. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, to be honest with you guys, I was pretty motivated to listen to what he had to say because I didn't want to do that. Um, and so that's what I heard growing up. Sean, you need to go to college. You need to get a degree uh, so that you can get a great paying job. And why do I need a great paying job? So I don't have to cut wood, right? Why do I need a great paying job so that I can make money and so that I can settle into this comfortable American life? Okay, we call it the American dream. And there's nothing wrong with making money we got to make money to pay bills. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with going to college. There's nothing wrong with not going to college. In fact, um, I thought I was going to college to, uh, <clears throat> to be a dentist. Um, I was planning on making a lot of money, a boatload of money, if you will. Um, I don't have any doctors in my family, um, <clears throat> but I went and did a job shadow my senior year of high school with this civil engineer, and I just thought, man, that's miserable, no thanks. 
Um, and by the way, if you're a civil engineer, it's not personal. <laughs> uh, it just wasn't for me. And so I went and did a job shadow with a local dentist in town. I thought, man, I could do this. You know, I could, I like to use my hands. So I thought, man, I could work at people's mouths, talk to them. I could, you know, make six figure income. I could work three days a week and golf four. Um, and I don't even like golf. And so, uh, <laughs> It's true. And again, if you're a dentist, you know that that's not how it works. But that's kind of this fantasy that I created in my mind. And so that's what I heard growing up. Like, you need to grow up, Sean, and you need to go make a lot of money. And you need to settle into this comfortable American life. Where God just blesses your socks off and maybe you die comfortably in your bed when you're 80 years old and you get your ticket to heaven. That's what I was being told by my dad. He was well-meaning. That's what I was being told by my dad. That's what I was being told by culture. That's what I was being told by society that I needed to settle into this comfortable American life. And that idea of the American dream has crept its way into the church like a silent cancer, okay? And all that changed my sophomore year of college when this minister sat me down. He said, Sean, I'm gonna share something with you. He said, life's not about you. In fact, when I came to college, if I were to sum up my entry into collegiate life, I would have summed it up in three really simple statements, and they went something like this. Me, my agenda, and just a little bit of Jesus if I could squeeze him in. My Christianity was all about God blessing me, and what ended up happening was was I head off to college chasing this thing called the American dream, me, my agenda, and a little bit of Jesus if I could squeeze him in, and all that blew up in my face. My sophomore year of college when this minister sat me down, as I said, and he said, Sean, life's not about you and your agenda. In fact, you should probably get over yourself. I didn't laugh. I can promise you that. Um, I said, I don't know who you think you are, but the only people who talk to me like that are my mom and my dad. Um, And this guy was no nonsense. He wasn't wasting my time. He certainly wasn't playing games. He was pretty upfront. Uh, And so he said, life's not about you and your agenda. Uh, Not only should you think about getting over yourself, but he said, let me tell you what life is about. He said, life is about God's agenda, not yours. God's. And God's agenda is very simple. It's making his son, Jesus Christ, known worldwide among every tongue, tribe, people, nation, ethnicity, and language. That's God's agenda. It's to make himself famous among all nations of the world. And then he did something I'd never seen before. He took this book, the Bible. He opened it up in Genesis chapter one, and he walked me from Genesis chapter one, really all the way to the book of Revelation, cover to cover, unfolding for me God's agenda from scripture that he was gonna gather people back to himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I had never, you guys, seen the Bible talked about that way. I had never seen missions talked about that way. I'd never seen God's global agenda talked about that way. And by the time this guy got done walking me from Genesis to Revelation, I was a total train wreck. My Christianity was blown apart, and I've said before, it was almost like the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit gets paid to do, and just ruined me in the most appropriate way possible. Um, And we were talking last night over dinner, and a word was used at the dinner table that was really descriptive of what God did in my heart through the power of the Spirit and through the Word, the preached Word. Um, I was arrested, you guys, okay? I was arrested by what God's agenda was to make Jesus known on a worldwide scale, And up until that point, I could have cared less about missions. I could have cared less about the nations. I thought, man, missions, as I was telling the folks yesterday that we were with, I thought missions was for the weird people who didn't fit in here, so we shipped them overseas, right? (laughs) I'm serious. Some of you guys are like, that's so cold-hearted, but that's just how I felt. And so I got face-to-face with God's word. Not some man's idea. But God's word, I came face to face with God's word and I realized, man, this is God's idea. And so here's what I wanna share with you guys this morning, Antioch. What I'm gonna share with you this morning, it's not my idea, okay? It's not Christie's idea, it's not Jay's idea, it's not the missions committee's idea, it's not for a group of select folks. God's agenda to see Jesus known and worship among every tongue, tribe, and nation is God's idea. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we wave the banner of Jesus Christ over our life, then every one of us in this room are called to be involved in what God's global purposes are. No matter what your location is in this world, no matter what your vocation is in this world, we are called to be involved. And so I'm gonna share with you guys the same message that this guy shared with me nearly 15 years ago. I'm gonna walk you guys from Genesis all the way to Revelation this morning. Some of you guys are like, what time are we getting out of here? Okay, don't worry. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you will be transformed by the Spirit through the preached word this morning and that you will see 
And whatever your agenda may be, okay, it is subservient to God's agenda to make himself known through the finished work of Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive right in in Genesis chapter 1, right where God gets started, okay? All right, let me pray. God, I pray as we sung that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, as the psalmist says. And in addition to that, as we sung, oh Lord, we need you. Every hour, this very hour, we need you. We need you to do the impossible, for apart from you, we can do nothing. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we ask that you would blow over this room. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the story, as I told you guys, gets started in Genesis chapter 1 with two people on the planet, Adam and who? And God comes to Adam and Eve and he gives them the very first commandment in the Bible in Genesis 1.28. And this is what it says. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Now this happens to be the very first commandment that God gives mankind in scripture. If you think about it long enough and hard enough, it's also about the only one we've managed to keep, right? It's like honor our father and mother. No thanks, do not lie. No thanks, have no other gods before me. No thanks, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Yes, Lord, okay? (laughs) You can talk about what that means later in case anybody's confused. And so uh, all jokes aside, all jokes aside, that's really what God's after, okay? That's what God wants is Adam and Eve. He wants them to be fruitful, multiply and literally, physically reproduce, fill the earth, grow your family, grow it big, spread out. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you grow your family, grow up big. Now, here's why this matters. At this point in the story, there's no sin in, in the picture. God and mankind are living in a perfect relationship with one another. And so, in essence, what God is saying is this. Adam and Eve, as you begin to fill the earth physically, I want you to teach and train your children, your descendants, what it means to know me, to worship me, to honor me, to bring glory to me, to follow me, all those things. I want you to teach that to your descendants. And so as they fill the earth physically, they will be populating the earth spiritually with a planet full of people who know and worship me. That's what God wants is a planet full of people who know and worship him. However, by the time we get to Genesis chapter three, we are told that man sins and they sever their relationship with God. Three chapters later, Genesis chapter six, verse five, by the time we get there, we are told that every intention in mankind's heart was only set on evil all the time. Utter wickedness fills the earth, just six chapters into the Bible. In Genesis seven, God floods the earth. He basically hits the reset button and he starts over with a second family. And in Genesis nine, one, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and do what, Antioch? We're not even 10 chapters into the entire Bible and twice already God has commanded mankind to fill the earth, fill the earth. The command is clear. However, things have changed because now sin has entered the story and sin has entered the picture. And so by the time we come to Genesis chapter 11, we come to this story called the Tower of Babel. Let me tell you what's going on 11 chapters in. It says, now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. So no matter where you went on the planet, 11 chapters into the Bible, everybody's speaking one language, English, okay? And as men moved eastward, (laughs) the Bible says that they found a plain in a place called Shinar and they settled there. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that reaches up to the sky. Why? So that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God said, do what? Fill the earth, fill the earth. God said, go, and man said, no. Okay, it doesn't take a lot of interpretive work to figure out this is what we call direct disobedience, all right? In addition to that, in addition to that, not only do they choose to not scatter, but God says, I built you, I made you, I created you to make a name for me to make my name great, to make me famous in the world. Not you, not your little kingdom, but me and my name and my kingdom. And what does mankind say? (laughs) 
God, did you hear us? We're going to build a tower to heaven so that we might make our name great. At which point I'm waiting for the next verse in the Bible to say like God flicks them into the sun, right? (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, just think a few chapters back, what did he do? He floods the whole earth, kills everyone, everything, except for Noah, his family, and the animals two by two. Total devastation. I'm just waiting for God to respond that way. But he responds actually in mercy and grace. So there's actually this commingling of grace and mercy that comes alongside of God's judgment. And so God judges mankind, but this is what he does. The Lord said, come, let us go down. Don't you just see the irony in that? Let us go down. Your tower that you're building to the sky, it's so small that we can't even see it from up here in heaven. (laughs) Oh, we'll go down there and look at it. Oh, there it is. And let us confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the tower. Now, before everybody speaking one language, what was it? English, good. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, was it really? We don't know what it was, okay? (laughs) We have no idea. But the Lord scattered them there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the tower. So we go from one language to multiple languages, one location to multiple locations. Here's a fact. All the known languages in the world today, they actually historically come from this event right here. English, Spanish, Mandarin, okay, French. A buddy of mine's like, does rap count? I'm like, that's terrible, man. (laughs) Does tweeting count? I'm like, give me a break. Here's the bottom line. All the known languages in the world, they historically come from this event. So one location, multiple. One location, multiple. Now remember the question is this. God wants a people gathered to himself who know him, praise him, and worship him. So what is God going to do to gather the scattered? Now, let me remind you real quick that in the last 11 chapters of the Bible, we've covered roughly 2,000 years of human history. I don't know if you've ever thought much about that, but God takes the first 11 chapters of the Bible to cover roughly 2,000 years of human history. He does that only to turn around and take the next 14 chapters to cover the life of one man. Okay, so 11 chapters to cover 2,000 years of human history in comparison to 14 chapters to cover the life of one man. So who is God going to use to start this gathering process of gathering a people back to himself? So God's going to gather a people back to himself from all peoples. We don't have to go far to find our answer. Just a chapter later, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to a land that I'm going to show you. God picks one guy. Bible tells us his name is Abram. It goes on to say that he's 75 years old. In America, we call that retirement. I don't know that he's looking to go anywhere. Seriously. Now, some of you guys are like, oh, they live longer in those days, so it doesn't count quite, you know, count quite the same way. Well, you're just looking for excuses, okay? God says to Abraham, leave. Are you starting to see a repeated theme? Fill the earth, fill the earth, go, leave. What does God command this guy to leave? Abram, I'm commanding you to leave your land. Abram lived in the land of Ur. It was a port city, sat in the Persian Gulf, rich in commerce and trade, rich in materialism, rich in blessings, rich in idolatry. Abraham, I want there to be a decisive break away from that. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Not only am I commanding you to leave your land, I'm also commanding you to leave your loved ones, your family, your household, your father, the people who you are closest with and who you share the specialist relationships with. Leave your land, leave your loved ones and go to a land that I'll show you. And God doesn't bother to tell him where he's going or how long he's even staying, which I'm convinced is about the worst mission trip recruitment tactic you can ever use. It's like, oh, we're going on a mission trip. Where are you going? We don't know. How long are you staying? We're not sure, but there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you're interested. (laughs) Seriously, just put yourself in this guy's shoes. Sometimes we're so familiar with these stories in the scripture for some of us who have been Christians for some time that they just become white noise to us. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Abraham, leave all of it. 
and go to a land that I will show you. But listen to what God promises him. So oftentimes what you see in the Bible is that when God gives a command, it's often accompanied, not always, but it's often accompanied with a promise. And so God's gonna land this thing with a huge promise. Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'm gonna bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'm gonna curse. And Abram, don't miss that yellow part down on the bottom. I've underlined it for you so you don't miss it. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm actually out to bless you, but it's not for you. Abraham, you're being blessed in order to be a blessing. The blessing is coming to you, Abraham, because I'm moving it through you. You with me? Now, Abraham, here's the thing. The blessing's coming to you. And let's talk about who is that blessing for? It's for all what? Peoples, depending on what translation of scripture you may read, it may say families, it may say nations, it may say tribes, it may say ethnicities. Abraham, the blessing is for every tongue, tribe, people, nation, and language on the planet. That's who it's for. The question is, what is the blessing? What is the ultimate blessing that God is talking about right here? It's not health, wealth, and materialism. Now listen to me. God is eventually going to bless Abraham with things He's going to give him a lot of things, okay? There's going to be land that comes down the pipeline. There's going to be descendants that are coming down the pipeline. Those are all secondary. The ultimate blessing that God is talking about right here in Genesis 12, 3 is what? Jesus, the gospel. The ultimate blessing that's going to come down through your family lineage, Abraham, is Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that God is preaching the gospel to Abraham 12 chapters into the Bible? Because Paul tells us so in Galatians 3.8 that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all nations will be blessed. The ultimate blessing that God is talking about right here is not things, it's Christ It's Christ, and Christ is going to come down through Abraham's family bloodline thousands of years from now. He's going to step onto the scene, fully God and fully man. He's going to live the perfect sinless life that none of us in this room have ever got a shot at living. And then he's going to march to the cross. And he's going to die the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins in our place as our substitute. Amazing grace, we call it. How sweet it is. It would save a wretch like me. He's going to live the life we could never live, die the death that we deserve to die, and then he's going to be buried in the grave. And three days later, God the Father is going to raise him from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to prove to the world that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. And God goes one step further and says, if you turn, whoever, whoever, black, white, Chinese, American, Israeli, Afghani, Whoever turns from their sins and places their faith and trust in who Christ is and what Christ did, God says, I'll wipe your slate clean and I'll give you life forever to enjoy me. That's what makes heaven heaven, you guys, is that we get God. And that blessing of the gospel is eventually going to make its way to every tongue, every tribe, every nation, all ethnicities. If you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, open to Genesis chapter 12, okay? Open to Genesis chapter 12 and I wanna illustrate something very quickly. Genesis chapter 12. When you get there, just hold your place. She's like, it's on the screen. (laughs) Genesis chapter 12. Look up here. 12 chapters into the Bible, God comes and makes this promise to this guy named Abraham. And he says, hey, through you, I'm going to reach the world. Not probably, not maybe, not hopefully, but what? Will. Okay, what hangs off of this promise, Antioch? Literally, what hangs off of this promise? The rest of the Bible. Do you realize what's at stake if God doesn't see this thing through? All that right there is a total wash. In fact, any time that God makes a promise, he hangs his character off that promise. Because if God makes a promise and doesn't keep that promise, it means he's not God, he's a liar. And so you see what's at stake right here. All of that right there. And so I call Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the linchpin of the Bible. The linchpin of the Bible. 
What you're going to see from this point forward is that God is going to reveal his purpose through his promise. Or to say it another way, God's going to fulfill his purpose through his promise. And what is God's purpose to bless all what? Nations. And where does he make the promise? In Genesis chapter 12. So get used to hearing me say it because I'm going to repeat it about two dozen more times. God's fulfilling his purpose through his promise. And if there's nothing else you remember from this morning, don't forget Genesis 12, 3, that through Abraham, God promised that all nations will one day be blessed. And that blessing is salvation through the finished work of Christ on the cross to do what we could never do in the place that we deserve to take. And so what ends up happening is this promise that God makes to Abraham, it actually continues down through Abraham's family. God says to Isaac, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. He repeats the same thing to Jacob and says, Jacob, okay, maybe not. (laughs) There it is, (laughs) Jacob. Remember what I told you, Father Isaac and your grandfather Abram? Through you, all nations will be blessed. Not probably, not maybe, not hopefully, but what, Antioch? Will, will. This promise is as sure as the sunrise, will be blessed. And so what we see, okay, is that out of all the nations, out of all the nations, God chose one nation to reach what? All nations. I want you to say it with me and I'll explain it to you. Out of all the nations, God chose to reach. Out of all the nations that God scattered at the Tower of Babel, he's gonna pick one, the Israelites, the Hebrew people. And through them, he's going to reach all nations. Out of all the peoples, God chose one people to reach all peoples, would be another way to say it. Israel, you're going to be my chosen people, but it's for my chosen purpose. And my purpose is that all nations would be blessed. Not just Israelites, not just Jews. You're not my chosen people because there's anything special about you, Israel. Moses says that in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, you were least among all the nations, Israel. The only reason that you're significant, Israel, is because I set my affections and my love on you and because I chose you out of all the nations that I scattered there at the Tower of Babel. And so, Israel, the blessing is coming to you because I'm moving it through you. You're my chosen people, but it's for my chosen purpose. And what is God's purpose to fulfill a promise? And what is the promise? That all nations would be blessed, Jews and Gentiles. You with me? Okay, and so what we end up seeing from this point forward, this is remarkable. From this point forward, this summary statement right here almost summarizes the entire Old Testament. What we witness in the Old Testament is that God is working in and through Israel in order to bless the nations, in order that Israel and the nations might know that God is the living God. The God of Israel is the living God. And so what we see over and over and over in stories and examples and people is that God is fulfilling his purpose through his promise. Examples that most of us, I suspect, are probably very familiar with. In fact, take, for example, the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Okay, good, most of us. I'm in the right place this morning, praise God, okay? The Ten Commandments, let's ask the question, why did God give the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel? Now, there are a lot of answers to that. Why did God give the law to the nation of Israel? Well, one, to show them that they couldn't keep it. (laughs) Okay, Israel, here's my law. Guess what? You can't keep it. That's why you need a savior. Okay, how do we know that? Galatians 3.24, Paul says that the law is meant to point us to Jesus Christ. It's to show us we can't keep God's righteous standards. Only Christ can do that. So that's one of the reasons God gave the law. But in addition to that, listen, there were global implications to the giving of the law. Deuteronomy 4.6, listen to what Moses tells the Israelites. Israel, observe the law carefully. Here's why. This is going to show your wisdom and your understanding to the... The law wasn't just for Israel. Now, were the nations expected to follow that law? Nowhere in the Bible do we read that. But what's happening here is when Israel was obedient to God, they were a reflection of God. Let me say it again. When Israel was obedient to God, which is few, far, and in between, right? (laughs) Like, just go read the history of Israel. They failed miserably and repeatedly, which is like a picture of all of humanity. Like, that's what Israel serves as, is a picture of all of humanity. (laughs) Even though Israel failed repeatedly and miserably, when they were obedient to God, they served as a picture of God to the watching world. When they obey God, 
They served as a mirror to the nations of God's grace, his righteousness, his holiness, his kindness, his generosity, his mercy. All those things were a reflection of God's character. The law is not separate from who God is. It is an extension of who he is. And so we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed in the giving of the law, right? Um, we could look at numerous other examples. I, don't, I mean, the 10 plagues in Exodus, How about the story of Joshua and the children of Israel that he leads into the promised land? Moses dies, hands the leadership baton over to Joshua, and we get four chapters into the book of Joshua. And listen to what Joshua says to the children of Israel, not the parents, okay? All the parents are dead back in the desert. Joshua says, children, listen up. Do you remember when God saved you? Oh yeah, we remember Joshua, it was, it was powerful. It was remarkable. He split the Red Sea in order to get us out from Egypt. He leveled the Egyptian army with 10 plagues. There were all of these powerful encounters that God basically carried out to save us, to save us out from under the hand of the Egyptians. And Joshua says, that's right, Israel. However, it wasn't just for you. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord was mighty. Israel, your salvation was not just for you. I saved you in order that I might display to the nations, to the Egyptians, to the Canaanites, to the Amorites, to all those living there, right, in the promised land, When I demonstrated my power to save you, split the Red Sea, stop the River Jordan, drop 10 plagues on Egypt, all of that was to put myself on front page world news and say to the nations, I am the living God. Bend your knee to me in allegiance. That's what God's after. Why? Because he's not just blessing Israel for Israel, but he's blessing Israel to work through Israel. It's coming to you because I'm moving it through you. And so we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise in the Ten Commandments. We see it in the Ten Plagues. We see it in the Red Sea. We see it in the River Jordan. Um, Eventually, we know that the Israelites take the land. They live in relative peace until we get into the book of Judges. And then Israel sins. They repent. God judges them, restores them. Sin, repentance, restoration, judgment. There's like these cycles. We get to the end of it and the Israelites say, hey, give us a king like the nation. Samuel says, this is going to be a terrible idea. (laughs) No, 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 Samuel. We know best. Sounds like Tower of Babel, doesn't it? Give us a king like the nations. Okay, we'll give you one. First king out of the gates is King Saul. Had a lousy start. Well, decent start, lousy finish. On his coattails is a young man by the name of David. And on David's way to the throne, he has a famous battle with who? Goliath. This day I will strike you down, Goliath, remove your head. I will give the dead bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. Okay, this is coming out of the mouth of somebody who's probably between the ages of about 12 and 14. (laughs) And by the way, the story is rated R, folks. Okay, I don't know how you... like portray it in some, like, you know, like with the kids, you know, most of the time you see the story of David and Goliath, everybody's got smiles on their face. It's like, no, it's a bloodbath. Okay. <clears throat> a friend of mine, and I think this is funny and somewhat true. A friend of mine's like, this right here is, that's what you call Jewish trash talk. I'm like, yep. <clears throat> I mean, put yourself in David's shoes. You're like, you're just hitting puberty. Seriously. He's just sprouted like his first little armpit hair. And he says to this guy, who is a professional killer, a nine-foot professional killer, here's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to divide you up. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed you to the wild beasts. Okay, got it. That's right. Amen. But why? Why did God use David to slaughter Goliath? Was it so that we could make movies called Facing Our Giants? Some of you guys are like, careful, we just watched that over the weekend. That's like family tradition. Easy, son. You're treading on thin ice. Okay, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm not saying that those movies don't have a place, but that's not the point of the story. Why did God use David to slaughter Goliath? It's not so that we can defeat the giants in our life. The story's not about us. And it's not about David and Goliath primarily. Why did God use David to slaughter Goliath? Here's why. 
It's so that what? No surprise. (laughs) Because God's fulfilling his purpose through a promise that all nations would be blessed. Egyptians, Israelites, Canaanites, Philistines. I'm working in you and through you, Israel, in order that I might make myself known, excuse me, to every tongue, every tribe, every ethnicity, every race, over and over and over. How about Solomon and his wisdom? Okay, just a few few books later, 1 Kings 4.34, why does God give Solomon his wisdom? Well, Solomon asks for it so that he can lead the people of Israel, but it's bigger than that. People of all what? Nations show up at this guy's doorstep. The queen of Sheba is going to travel over 1,500 miles north from probably modern-day Yemen all the way up to Jerusalem. That is a long camel ride, all right, really long. And she's going to sit at the feet of this guy, and she's going to listen to him talk and look at his stuff. And by the time this pagan queen from the nations leaves the presence of King Solomon, what does she say? Blessed be the God of Israel. And so we see God revealing himself to Egyptians, Canaanites, Philistines, Ethiopian queens. I don't even have time to tell you about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rahab the Canaanite prostitute, Naaman the Syrian, the Ethiopian eunuch in Jeremiah chapter 38. How about the whole book of Jonah? Where God sends a reluctant prophet to go preach to a God-hating nation. Okay, you guys, think that, you guys think that ISIS is bad? Okay, anybody that watches the news, you guys think that ISIS is bad? The Ninevites were ruthless. They would take their captors, bury them in the sand with nothing but their head above the ground and ride chariots over them for fun. And God says, Jonah, got a job for you. I want you to go tell those people that judgment's coming. I'm sending you on a, on a mercy mission, Jonah. And what's Jonah say? <laughs> I've been waiting. Just couldn't wait for you to ask me. Man, to go talk to those people that, that hate you and that, are, and that are a threat to Israel. Man, I just been. What's he say? No, thanks. No, thanks. No, that's That's okay. <clears throat> God, we thought, uh, <clears throat> you know, I thought Jonah, you know, being a, gosh, I, I thought that you were, thought you were only just, just pro-Israel. No, 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 Jonah. I'm pro the nations because I made a promise to the nation of Israel that through the nation, all nations would be blessed, including Ninevites. I want you to go preach the gospel to them. God says, go, and here we still are. Jonah says what? No. Over and over and over. Israel, 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 America, America, America. If that's the language of your heart, you can call Jonah your spiritual father. God is not only about, but for all, all, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every race, every ethnicity, because he is big. He is not ethnocentric. He is not an ethnocentric God. He is a God of all nations. The living God is a missionary God. Over and over and over, you guys, we could go through stories in the Old Testament. I could spend all afternoon with you just in the Old Testament. In fact, it's all over in the book of Psalms. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and what? Know that I am God. Yep, passage that a lot of us are probably familiar with. I remember that we were teaching at a church, the traveling team, the organization I work with, we were teaching at a church up in Wisconsin a few years ago, and we walked into the foyer of the church, and this picture right here was on the, <clears throat> was on the wall. Be still and know that I am God, right? Canoes on the water, mist, Lake, stream, quiet, peaceful, therapeutic, comforting, right? There's only one thing wrong with this picture, folks. (laughs) Only one thing wrong. 
By the way, I, I didn't tell you guys I'm from Arkansas. So you guys are like, he just used the word folks. Where's he from? <laughs> okay, I'm from Arkansas. When you're from Arkansas, it's awesome to be anywhere. Okay, so um, <clears throat> let me take us back to this picture. You see that little subscript right there? Psalm 4610, what? A. What's that all about? Well, you know, there's only so much white space on the page, right? There's a bit of a bottleneck right there at the trees, so we just kind of had to trim the fat. <laughs> but who knew? Who knew that there was a whole second half? A whole second half that says this. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be exalted in the earth. Some of you guys are like, honey... We got a picture like that hanging over our toilet. We need to go home and fill in the rest of it, right? <laughs> I ain't joking because I've stayed in people's houses that have that kind of stuff hanging on their walls. It's like, oh, we got to write in the rest of it. Who knew? Who knew? I remember whenever God was growing my heart for the nations, when I didn't care about this stuff. And I remember I came face to face, as I mentioned to you earlier, with God's word and God's spirit. And I got to this passage right here in Psalm, and I just thought, man, how did I never know that there was a second half? I've been robbed, right? I've been robbed. And so I went to this local Christian bookstore there in Arkansas. I don't know if you guys got a lot of those here in Colorado Springs, but Christian bookstores back in Arkansas are like Walmart or Target, okay? They're like a one-stop shop for all your Jesus needs, okay? <laughs> I'm not kidding. They got Christian clothing, Christian house decorations, Christian office supplies. We got Christian toys, Christian food, Christian candy, uh, Christian house decorations, all that good stuff that we need, right? And so I walk into this local Christian bookstore, and I'm not even joking. I find myself caught between two aisles, and I look down, and there is a Jesus action figurine. I was like, wow. <laughs> and I looked to my right, and there was a book. It was like seven spiritual tips to your best home gardening. And I thought, yep, we got it all. <clears throat> and so... I walked up to the counter, it's a true story, and I asked the young man behind the counter, I said, excuse me, sir, um, God's beginning to grow my heart for the nations. God's beginning to grow my heart for missions, and I just want to learn more. Um, can you please point me to the mission section of your bookstore? And this guy looked at me, I'll never forget what he said to me. <laughs> young man, I'm sorry. We don't have a mission section because missions books just don't sell. I'm like, what? I'm like, you got everything else in here that you could possibly imagine. Do you know that you sell Dance Dance Praise? He's like, what? <laughs> if you don't know what Dance Dance Praise is, just go look it up later on the internet. Okay, Christian's got weird stuff. It's this video game where you lay this mat out on the floor and you tap your feet, right? And you raise your hand, you sing praise songs to Jesus, score bonus points for the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. It's nuts, okay? It's crazy. <laughs> Some of you guys think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not. <clears throat> I was teaching at a private Christian university in, in the South. And this sweet girl in the, in the audience was like, it was so fun. <laughs> I was like, were you homeschooled? And she's like, I was. I was like, okay. <laughs> I only feel like I can say that because my wife was. But yeah, folks, why, why do I share that story with you? Because man, that's the kind of Christianity that we're fed in this country. Me, 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 my, my, my. Us, 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 bless us, bless me. It's all about me. All of a sudden, we're the center of the story. Not God. That's the main character in this book. And it's what he's doing. It's what, his, what he's about. It's about his agenda. That's what he's after. And so what we see is over and over and over, all over in the Psalms. God's blessing the nations. His purpose among the nations is made known. In fact, as you roll out of the Old Testament and into the New, Jesus steps onto the scene of things. Same story. Nothing changes from the Old Testament to the New. When Christ steps onto the scene, God incarnate, he begins to fulfill in the flesh the very promise made to Abraham. Abraham, you remember that promise? Guess what? He just showed up. And he's not only about blessing his own people, Israel. He came to his own, John chapter 1, but his own received him not. And so he launches his ministry among the non-Jewish people in his own backyard. Matthew 4, 17, he will minister in Galilee of the Gentiles and those who have been in darkness, 
the nations will see a great what? Light. Examples, in case you don't believe me, the Samaritan woman at the well, okay? The centurion, Roman centurion's servant who's healed. The Canaanite daughter, or the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, different from the feeding of the 5,000. These are just eight examples. By my count, there's close to 24 in the Gospels where we see Jesus engaging the nations that were right there in his own backyard. Now, was, listen to me. Was Jesus anti-Semitic? No. Okay, he was a what? Jew. He comes to his own. He reaches out to his own. He loves his own. But he wasn't only about his own. We got to hear this as Americans. Because Israel thought that the world revolved around them because they were God's people. And God said, Israel, you missed the point. You are an instrument through which I am fulfilling a promise to Abraham that every tongue, tribe, and nation would know and worship me. Why? Because I want a people gathered to myself from all peoples because I'm fixing what Adam and Eve messed up all the way back where? In Genesis chapter one. Not only does Jesus model it in his earthly ministry, he goes on and he mandates it. That's a fancy way of saying he commands that we Christians, the church, do what? Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel in the whole world. Tell the world that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be found in who Christ is and what Christ has done. That we are to be sent as Christ was sent, as suffering servants. And that we are to be witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? Tell Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The ends of the earth about who he is, why he came, and what they can find in him. The peace and the hope for why these two candles right here burn. And what God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 1, or I should say in Genesis 12, God's going to see through. How do we know? Because listen to what John says about what heaven's going to one day look like. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And they were from where? Every tongue, every tribe, all peoples, all nations. Promise made. Promise what? Kept. And some of us are going to be surprised to find out Okay, that America is probably going to make up a pretty small population in heaven. Why would I say such a thing? Well, to begin with, we only make up 5% of the world's population, for starters. Okay? <laughs> 5%. It's going to be full of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And what God wanted when he created Adam and Eve, a people gathered to himself who knew him, worshipped him, and loved him... God wanted a planet full of people who knew him and worshiped him. And what he wanted, God what? Gets. And the question for us, Antioch, is are we on board? And I know that you are. Many of us in this room are. That was seen yesterday in our time together. But I want to remind us this morning, okay, that about a third of the world's population that lives in this part of the world called the 1040 window, about a third of the world's population is cut off almost entirely from Jesus Christ. They have no way to know about him. They have no way to hear about him. They have no way to bend their knee to him because no one speaks their language well enough to tell them. They have no Bible in their language and there is no church that exists. Many of the people inside that box will live, they'll be born, live and die never knowing about Jesus, never having access to Jesus. And so while we celebrate the Advent, the first coming of Christ, in anticipation of the second coming of Christ, while we find ourselves wrapped up in the second coming of Jesus, I want to remind us that about a third of the world's never even heard of his first. You with me? And they're not going to hear about it unless someone what? Goes. Let me remind you and close, let me remind you of your namesake, Antioch Church. What do we know about Antioch? 
Well, it was the mother church that was responsible for sending out missionaries to the Gentile world in the book of Acts. And you know how Antioch got reached? Because a man named who? Paul went. That's your namesake. Antioch Church was the church that God used to reach the Gentile world in fulfillment, in partial, not total, but fulfillment of Genesis 12. Now, there aren't people today from every tongue, every tribe, and all ethnicities that know and worship Jesus. The ones that don't know him and don't have access, most of them live in that box. I don't find it ironic that God would send me here this weekend to be speaking at a church that's named Antioch and to not remind you guys of who you are and what your namesake is and what God may have in store for those of us in this room who will put our yes on the table and say, Jesus, you put me anywhere you want on the map. Let me pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you. We are humbled by your word and we are reminded that a great privilege and a great invitation is on the table for us to join you in your global purposes. God, we thank you for our country. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the freedoms that we have here. We thank you that we have access to the gospel. All those things are privileges and blessings that you have given us as Americans. But with those blessings come a responsibility to make you known and your fame known among every tongue, tribe, and nation. God, forgive us when we find ourselves as the center of the story. Forgive us of the sin that Israel was so guilty of and missing and missing that they were your chosen people, but it was for your global purposes. And so what's come to us, God, let us hold our hands open freely, not just our hands, but let us give our lives, as Paul says, a living sacrifice to you. I ask that you would raise up more laborers from this church, that you would give wisdom and guidance to the Duncans and the leadership of this church, that you would protect them from an enemy that seeks to destroy all that is good and what you have done here. And let us be reminded this Advent season that what we so enjoy and what we celebrate, many in this world don't know about and won't know about until someone says yes to going. Do that here in and through these people. Thank you for a chance to be with them this weekend and the blessing that it's been to me. I pray this all in Jesus' name.